Welcome to the Poptimist. Today we have Kara Lippman, aka Caribbean Blue. New album out now. So exciting. So exciting. Grit is the name of the album. My favorite subject, one of my favorite topics. How did you decide that you were going to go with grit? Where did that theory or that concept come from? Oh, that was easy. Uh, I saw a podcast about what it takes to make it in any industry, and it was uh, it was a TED Talk about about grit, about the, the one characteristic that leads to success. We all have ups, we all have downs. What, do, what characteristic does it take to get through and to keep going? And it's really grit, and grit is, you know, like on sandpaper, it's the thing that, that allows you to, you know, hold on. And, you know, it's the thing, you know, on a rock climbing wall, there's a little outcropping, I don't, I'm not really much of a rock climber, but, you know, it's that one little foothold that allows you to keep going. So it's persistence, perseverance, determination, courage, fortitude, and, you know, there are times that that I personally, I, I know other people have, but I'll just speak from my own perspective. Has um, I have given up, you know, internally, and said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore." Um, but with music, there always seems to be something that propels me to keep doing it. I always. Know, you're shaking your head, yes, because you know, and it's a, it's a love, it's a love. But, you know, there are oh, yeah. other people that I, I witnessed in life going through much harder things than I have ever gone through um, with a smile on their face and not complaining. And two of those women um, that I watched do that were Barbara Doris and Trish Link, um, both dear friends who passed of cancer. And I watched them go through their final stages of life. And, you know... I know there was a lot of pain on every level, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, and they never complained. I complain all the time. I complain about traffic. <laughs> I complain about work. I complain about, you know, you know, the house isn't clean or, you know, their car has got something wrong with it or, you know, this person didn't call me back or, you know, there's, there's like just constant little disappointments. Um... So, you know, faced with a major life issue, I don't know that I would fare as well. I I, I hope so. I mean, what do I disagree you... with that. I think you would fare. I think <laughs> you would fare greatly. All right. Well, we'll 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 just bookmark this page so that I can look back on it if I ever yes. do. And you know, and I have. I have faced um personally some mountains. Um and my motto um in Full Throttle, my original EP from mm-hmm. 2016 was keep moving forward. And uh, at the church I was attending at the time, the pastor said, you know, Kara, I just feel like you're moving forward, you know, at a full gallop. And I was like, full throttle. And that was uh, just about the end of 2011, 2012, after a personal tragedy, and uh, actually multiple personal tragedies. Um, But that led me to making the New Year's resolution to get out more for 2013, in which my blues career in Nashville was launched. So, the theme of grit was not difficult, and I wanted to kind of triumph that, champion that mm-hmm. cause, 
that mentality. It's funny how music can force you into into not quitting. Or it doesn't even have to necessarily be music. It can be anything that is your purpose or you feel is your purpose that won't quit on you. For me, these past really six months or so have been absolute hell because I've been going through a lot within myself and addressing addressing things that like the the darker aspects I think everybody has a dark aspect to themselves and a light aspect and it's the one that you choose decides how your life is shaped and for a long time I just chose the dark one because that's always the easy one the seductive one right and it it led me to just a lot of bad choices and a lot of toxic situations I got fired from like four jobs last year mm. half of them were my fault not not all of them but um, it just, I went into like therapy and I really started addressing things from my childhood that I never really addressed. Um, my mom is addicted to pills. And my dad left when I was pretty young and he was also a drug addict. And uh, when my parents split up, my mom remarried almost immediately. My dad disappeared entirely and uh, the guy that she got remarried to beat her every single night. My sister had had moved out, and I was all alone, so it was just the three of us, and most of that year I don't even remember. It's just like a complete blank slate, and uh, once we got out of that situation, I was lucky enough to have my stepdad, whom I'm very close with. Um, so things, things from that, and just growing up, uh, I really had to start looking at myself and realizing that I was not in a normal or healthy circumstance, and I had to really look at how I interacted with people, especially women, uh, because I didn't have a very strong relationship with my mother, and that led to a lot of contentious romantic relationships, or toxic romantic relationships that just weren't good for me, and for women that I was not good for, it was it was a two-way street, and I, I looking back on all of it now and just kind of seeing like the wreckage of my 20s, there was a lot of good moments, um, but just looking back, I really see that as much heartache as there was, I caused it most of the time because I was running around like a wounded animal, mm. just injuring everybody that came around. I had purposely kind of withdrawn into myself to kind of face whatever demons I had because I really didn't want to do it by coming out to like the jam. You know, I, I had disappeared. No one had really seen me. And I had felt... I was not going to be on my best behavior. Like, I was emotionally just the most unstable I had ever been. Well, this was probably the, the second most time I was most emotionally unstable in my life. Uh, the first time, of course, like, when I was, like, 17 is when everything first started coming to a head. I, I got into this suicidal depression right at the end of high school because I didn't know what my future was going to be. Um, and I, I just started facing a lot. And uh, eventually I had bounced back from that in most of my 20s. I was just running around all around the U.S. just being crazy. I would just, there, there, there are things that I've, I've seen and like, that I'm very grateful for. I've gotten to do so much cool shit. And partially it's because I'm crazy, like I was a little bit crazy because <laughs> I took a lot of chances. But I had to start seeing that... Um, that although I am gritty and I have that in me, uh, 
I was burning a lot of bridges with people. And luckily, that's not something that I really don't in the Nashville music scene or anything like that. You know, I'd always been pretty good and kind of quiet and withdrawn. And it was because I knew I really had that in me. And sometimes there would just be this switch that flipped and I would just go off. And it was emotionally and mentally exhaustive to keep that hidden. To keep that, that almost phantom in me at all times. And I knew that in order to be stable and live a happy and healthy life, I had to drop out of pretty much everything. I didn't do the podcast for maybe a good four or five months. I didn't play any music. I would jam with my friends still. Um, I tried getting a job, but I was still just emotionally completely unstable. Like, it was just not good. So I, I switched over to driving for Uber and Lyft. And that was almost like my people rehab. Because I had seen so many different people from so many different walks of life. And it was, uh, it's been a great learning experience. And I finally feel like I'm coming out on the end of something, like the other end of something. Um, and I really have a good idea of who I am. But for a while, it was really difficult to even talk to people and to even interact with someone. I didn't know how. Because everything that I thought was my personality were just things that my my mom had kind of put in my mind. You know, for, for years she told me that I was retarded and that I was stupid and basically that I could never win by playing clean or playing by the rules. And I, I truly believe that. So I'd always learn to skirt the system and to kind of live within the shadows and get good in the clutch. That's the one thing I will say that I'm good at. Like in crisis mode, if something comes up in a time of tragedy, I just go into overdrive. But the, I was only good in extreme cases. Every other time I was just kind of, kind of a half-ass just kind of showing up. I went off on a total tangent. I'm sorry. I apologize. And I'm glad. I'm glad that you shared. There's so many things that I relate to and and feel like touching back on. Um, first is that adult children of addicts generally are really good in emergencies because their whole childhood was one <laughs> great emergency. Yeah. And they learn to be very resourceful. Yes. So that is pretty normal. Um, you know, but what happens when you extract yourself and you're in a non-chaotic environment, you sort of miss chaos. And so it can be perpetuated. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, hurt people hurt people. And so um, one of the things that has really helped me was to get some perspective of people in my young life about where they came from and the tragedies that they endured and how they were raised. You know, it's an interesting generational dynamic we're coming out of an era where people didn't talk about things at all. Yeah. Especially in the South. Of course, you and I are both from the from North. The, from the North, yeah. <laughs> New England. And, um, but still, there was this mentality of you don't tell people personal things and you, you keep a certain facade for the outside world. Um, and it's all, it's all survival. Yeah. We're all trying to find a yes. way to pursue happiness and our dreams and be comfortable 
within ourselves. And it's what I hear from you is a lot of desiring that or seeking that or knowing that that is your goal. Stability. Stability, because that's something that you lacked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so finding examples of that and surrounding yourself in that can be very uncomfortable and unfamiliar Mm -hmm. and challenging and you're going to rebel. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, but the fact that that's in your heart, that is a lovely thing. And that's where recovery is for, for all of us. For sure. Yeah. It's, like looking at everything now, and it's just I, I've seen my entire life with a whole new set of eyes that I never seen them with before. Mm, clarity, clarity, like stability yes, yes, to clarity, yes, <laughs> for sure. And it was like this this job really everything came to a head to me for me last June. It was last end of last May, beginning of June. Um, I had gotten fired from this job that I had been working for for like two years. And all of the people there were just toxic animals. And they encouraged they encouraged my worst traits mm. to come to the surface. And the same way that, that my mom did. It was like uh, I was just kind of a, a brute sometimes. And I could get my way by by ruling with an iron fist. And with maturity and clarity, I realized that those are good tactics in the short term, but in the long term, you make a lot of sure. enemies. Sure, it gets things done, and you get through another mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. But survival, the survival next, mode. yes, exactly. I was permanently stuck in a survival mode that I cannot escape from, and yeah, that's you're conditioned. Yes, to it. that's just what's natural to you. It's what's most comfortable. It was at all that I time. knew. Yeah. For sure, it was. It was. It was what I was most familiar with. So when I decided to kind of really look at myself, I had had a normal paycheck, a normal job, I was living on my own, functioning, all this stuff, had a, had gotten a car, whatever, everything. I had, I had a normal life on the surface and everybody always kind of thought I was just like a quiet, normal, suburban kid, but the world that I come from was, was not that. Like, my, uh, my biological father, he was, he was a police officer, he was also a crack dealer. So he, um, he was a very intelligent man and a detective. So he had that kind of brain, you know, to figure things out, but he used it for bad. Mm. And I noticed some of those traits within me, you know, fortunately I had never gotten deep into like any drug use or anything like that. Um, I had always been kind of scared off by it just from what I had seen. Oh, sure. But yeah, I mean, just, just seeing that and knowing that those, that those things also existed in me, it was like an imprint from some situation that you can't control when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you just don't know anything. No. You you just are a child. You only know what you're taught. Yes. And what I was taught was lying, cheating, and manipulation. Like the, Those were the only things that I had really, really known is the worst traits, that, some of the worst traits a human being can have were just fully running free within me, um, especially within my personal relationships. And it was not, I was not getting the kind of yields I wanted out of life. Mm. And I was starting to feel more and more miserable. And it got to the mm. point to where there, there would be, 
you know, I would date a real nice girl, someone who was stable, had a job, all that good stuff. But those were not the kind of women I was attracted to throughout most of my, my 20s. Um, and those girls would run far, far away once they got a, a good whiff of me. You know, they would hang out for a little while. Taylor's a nice guy. He's charming, whatever. He, just, he does a lot of stuff. He's busy. He's focused. But I was only so focused and I was only so busy because I had this other side of me that would just go off the deep end. That would go nuts. And they would run away. And I had to really look at myself and see that the current th or the, the thread through everything was me. You have a common denominator. I was a common denominator mm -hmm. in all of my problems, mm -hmm. all of my relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are definitely times where I, I treated my stepdad and my sister bad or just, just kind of angry and belligerent. And, um, I've really had a, a lot stronger of a relationship with, with the both of them. And we have a very strong core now. Um, and it ended up, I think, triggering a whole bunch of shit, you know, within myself. And they kind of saw that I was trying to make some real changes. And it really brought us closer together. And I, I feel very grateful for family because one thing that I never really felt was a sense of family or even love. It was all very, everything was all very superficial to me. I didn't have a sense of, of compassion. Like, that's the biggest thing that I lacked is I was super cutthroat, no compassion. And it wasn't to say that I couldn't recognize a hard situation that someone was, was in, but I would look at my life and think, and this was all subconscious, I didn't even realize this, I would just see them like, I don't know, as, as tragic as, as it can be, someone's grandma died, I would not feel bad for them. Like, I, when I was in my, most of my 20s, I did not feel bad for them. I just didn't feel that. I was just like, well, death happens, shit happens, which... Again, it made me a lot of enemies. You know, it made really people feel like Taylor doesn't give a fuck about me. And it was true, I didn't. The only person I had given a fuck about was myself. And I was very, very selfish. Especially with love. It was all about the way that I felt. Mm -hmm. Me, 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 me. That's what it always was. And, uh, yeah, if it weren't for music, music always reveals the the path for me and it always has I've been lucky to have that and I think anybody who has something like if it's being a doctor or if it's working at the post office whatever it is that your calling is I think it can reveal reveal itself when you need it the most and it sounds like that's kind of what happened for you before your before you released full throttle mm -hmm. it absolutely did um, I just wanted to sort of touch back on, on what you said. A lot of the traits that you described are, you know, consistent with a certain type. But you can't say that you are that type if underneath it there is this burgeoning compassion or need or desire to connect with other people in a genuine way. And For so sure. you yes. have the capacity within you to put that those things that helped you yeah. survive behind and move forward to get like what you're saying the yield out of the things in a very genuine way and that's a lovely thing thank you yes i i appreciate that yeah it was um it was really a process 
to, to figure that out and to realize that the, the things that I would say that would hurt people or the way that I would act that would hurt people was not necessarily me. It was separate from me. Mm. It was, again, just... You have an authentic self yes. underneath Every that. single one of us does. Dr. Uh, Phil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dr. Phil. Um, every single one of us, I think we have something in us. And anybody who is capable... It's kind of like Harry Potter. Like, when he, put, he, when he was in the sorting hat. He, got, he didn't know if it was going to be Gryffindor or Slytherin. Because I think anybody that is capable of great things is also cra- uh, capable of terrible things, too. But it's just uh, which one you choose. Because it's always harder to choose the good thing. Because the good thing is always off in the distance. The good thing is hard. But there is something, at least I can recognize in myself, there's something that wants to do the good thing as hard as it is. And that's where grit really comes in. That's where folks like Barbara and Trish inspire me to push through the stuff, doing things that I don't want to do necessarily on the surface. I don't want to do them just because I know they're hard. I don't want to put out the effort. I'm afraid I might fail, you know, and just continue to move forward full throttle. Full throttle, yes. Full throttle. So, you know, going back to the album, um, there are a lot of different songs with a lot of different co-writers <coughs> that really um, sort of touch on different aspects of grit. Um, somebody asked me, so Jack Pearson played on a track, which if you're from the Nashville area or if you know anything about the Almond Brothers, you know Jack Pearson. Mm-hmm. Guitarist, guitarist. And he played on that track for me because I really wanted a very plaintive longing. And uh, somebody, actually his nephew, Ricky, asked me, you know, what's the song about? You know, and I was like, well, you know, it's um, it's about a partner, a person talking about their partner, about, you know, you don't want to dance with me. You don't want to hold my hand. You don't want to kiss me. You don't want to even be near me. And it's that longing of wanting to be connected to that one person. But it's also the longing of being connected to the world and feeling like an outcast. Yeah. And feeling like, you know, the longing for connectivity, period. You know, I've lived alone since I was, you know, 20 years old. Um, ostensibly, you know, a, a couple times I had some roommates and stuff. But, you know, for the most part, I've been kind of a lone wolf. Um, and at this point, I'm grateful for the personal sacred space <laughs> to come home and just be myself, authentically myself, which is lovely. Um, but there is a longing to be connected with other people in a meaningful way. Um, that is demonstrated by, you know, physical contact. Um, so it's not just a song about lovers, it's a song about, you know, a person. Um, and, you know, when I was telling Ricky ab- about this song, I was like, wow, I just made that up. <laughs> but it's it's true, it's true that... The subconscious comes out. You know, you do... If you have that desire within you, you know, it's going to eke out. And it takes... It takes a lot of courage to be connected to other people, especially if you come from a family that had a substance abuse issue mm-hmm. in its history. 
you know, um, it, one of the gals, one of my co-writers, Rachel, um, did a, one of the 12 days of grit videos for me and, um, her message, her gritty goal for 2019 was to stay in touch with the softer side of herself, which seems like a bizarre grit goal. Doesn't seem like it would, you know, that's not strength to be soft, but it really is. It really is. Despite all the things, vulnerability, our favorite topic. Yes. Of all the things that life throws at us to not continue to be hard and to be open and to be receptive, to be teachable, to be malleable, to be vulnerable, which leads to the connection with other people. That is something that I really struggled to learn. I learned the hard way. Well, what would have happened if you were vulnerable or soft in your family of origin? Yeah, I would have. I would have been miserable. Well, even my mom, she had always. I was never allowed to show any kind of emotion. I think it was because it was too overwhelming for her to deal oh, with yeah. the fact that we were in we were in hell and we were in I tragedy. Relate to that. No, you're not allowed to be angry. You, you just got to be tough. The only person who's allowed to be angry is the authority figure. Yes. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent, and she, if I, even when I was a little kid, if I would cry or if I would get upset, she told me, you know, stop acting like a girl, don't be a bitch, uh, all of this stuff. Ooh. That was, yeah, that was a lot of stuff. Like you should have been born a girl, stuff like that. And oh my gosh! I was not allowed to show emotion. So, uh, of course, you know, when I would go through out my life, people would just think I'm like stone faced all the time. And don't get me wrong, it was great in, in business and everything like that and really sure. benefited me greatly sure. in some ways. Sure. But as far as being a loving, caring, compassionate friend or, <laughs> or so boyfriend uh, or brother or son <laughs> mm, or any of that, sure. um, I was lacking in those areas. And those were things that I had to learn because, my, of course, it was extremely traumatic to have a mother that you that you had no connection with. Like, I had no connection with my mom whatsoever. Like, I can't even really say anything positive about the situation that I was in or her other than the fact that it made me the person that I am now. And it made me learn a lot about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it made me learn a lot about the fact that not everybody is going to choose to kind of change the way that they are, the hand that they were dealt. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they can't. It's too traumatic to process. And I honestly know that what I went through, it was, again, you know, it was mild in comparison to some some other things that people have gone through. You know, I, I actually, I had an Uber rider on New Year's Eve. He got into my car, he was 22, and the first thing he said was, I just got out of jail. So I immediately just, we started talking, and it was this kid who had been in and out of juvie since he was 15. His dad had died when he was probably like 13 or 14. He said that his dad shot his girlfriend and shot himself, so it was a murder-suicide. His mother didn't want anything to do with him. He said his mother's like this big wig real estate person in Chicago. She doesn't have any contact with him because she thinks he's scum, but it's it's like his whole situation, just like his story, I was like, okay, my situation was fucked up, but his was more fucked yeah. up. So yeah. uh, 
and it really left me, we had talked, um, for, for a while and just hearing him change. Cause he was talking about like, I used to be a meth dealer. I used to be a heroin dealer and I got addicted to the money. He's like, I went from making $8,000 a month to making minimum wage. Cause no one wants to hire an ex con. Right. And just like everything that he was kind of, kind of saying, I could tell that he was really wanting to change his life and he was just starting to process it. Mm, um, and awesome. if, if he can do it, then I can definitely fucking do it. Like if he can, if he can own it and say, you know, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to try and be better. Um, anybody can, I think it's all about what is in, in us. And sometimes people get knocked down and they don't have the courage to get back up. And I think that happens pretty often. I've been there before. It sounds like you've been there before, but again, you know, we have this, we feel this greater pull in life, which is the music. Mm -hmm. And I think also service to others. That was one thing that we started talking about the other day Mm -hmm. is really trying to, to help people or just go out of my way to actually help people now. Like I remember when I first started the, the, the like going through all this therapy and everything like that, I went, I was walking in the Rivergate mall and this lady was sitting on a bench and she waved me down and she had just told me that she had just had knee surgery. She was maybe five feet from the vending machine. She's like, I can't get up. I can't walk. Can you please get me a lemonade? And I went and I got her the lemonade and, um, I remember the whole time just feeling kind of like, the fuck was this lady asking me this? And then I caught myself in that moment (laughs) because I had always just been so focused on myself with the situation that I was in that I didn't really take the time to ever help anybody because any, my mom would try and always get me to get, she would get me to do like, go get her a soda from the fridge, even though she was, she was fine. She would just be zonked out on pills. Mm -hmm. So it was like that, like my helping people was related to triggered. I was triggered, yes. Mm-hmm. Triggered, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just starting to see that kind of shit, it was like, oh, shit. Like, this lady actually needed help. Yeah. And then afterwards, I felt a little bit better. I was like, okay, well, I did something good. <laughs> I tried, to, I hand her back uh, the change. She's like, keep it. It was like a quarter or something like that. And I just thought that was so funny. It's like the best quarter you ever got. It was the best quarter I ever got. And, um, <laughs> I mean, that's just one thing that, that kind of sticks out to me about helping, helping others. And this podcast, my thing has always been, I really wanted to help people. I think in the beginning, that's why I started it. And it's just kind of getting to the point to where I'm starting to talk about this stuff. Now I had to get there as a person first. And I hope that from now on I can portray myself as authentic and genuine. I think that's what the podcast has always been, that there's always been a wall And I've always felt like when I go out to the jams, there's always a wall up and people don't get that side of me. Um, Because I'm kind of a recluse. It's uh, a lot of the time I want to just stay in. Or I, oh, there's other things I could be doing. I could go to drive tonight or I could go. I'll make every excuse in the book as to why I can't go out. (laughs) And it's just catching myself doing that stuff now that I am back, I guess. And I'm here in a way that I never really was before. And well, I hope you know that that recluse, whatever, manipulative, self-focused, whatever, didn't come across to I'm, me anyway. I'm grateful to hear that. Yeah, I think um, 
I did a really good job. I was always kind of emotionally exhausted because I would just bury that deep, deep yeah. down in self and myself. And it, there was again, it's always the greater purpose of the music. I really felt that if I let that side of me come out, I was I was grappling with this demon all the time. But it was because of the music, and I I, I would. I have a sense of respect for the music and the jams and like all the people that we know. Um, so I was really always on best behavior, but it was very, very difficult for me. Mm. It, w- it would, it would just be, I was emotionally crawling within my skin almost every single time. And I played like it a lot of the time too. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Like it well, was cause the music is, is the way to salvation and the mother church and you don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> I would get way up in my own head about everything in my life. I would get all spun up or I would just get off the phone with my mom right before I would go to the jam and so I would be pissed and I would have to hold it in. Just That was the thing that I always did. I would always just swallow it deep down. I wouldn't feel it. Just push it deep down in my soul oh, as far as it could go. that is child stuff. Yeah, for sure. You wonder why I have a weight issue. Lifelong. Yeah. Stuffing, 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 stuffing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had someone in a, uh, it was a self-help around eating group I was in. She said, uh, you know, with my eating behaviors, like it could have been toilet paper. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. She just wanted to stuff the pain. Because oh, yeah. you weren't allowed to express the pain. Found a and security so, blanket. Exactly. And you, and you and you weren't comforted. There was no comfort available, right? No. And, but you had this emotional need to get it out, and to be reassured, and those things were not available. No. So then we turn to what we call in the business maladaptive behaviors, mm-hmm. coping mechanisms but you know um somebody once recently said you know coping is the lowest form of of living you know just to just to be surviving survival mode on a daily basis is you're not not really living no you're not really human and that goes back to some of the things that you said before and so being in a safe place where you do have access to those feelings you are safe to express them and to be encouraged in that, you know, they're going to, it's not necessarily, it's, it's going to get better. You know, sometimes it gets harder, you know, and you face, you face new challenges. So I, I hate saying, you know, like, it's all going to be okay. Because I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the way, the, the way that my life has gone, you know, like I went through a summer of hell too. Just little, little things here and there that were just so, ugh aggravating, yeah. you know, and I, I finally Just puts like you my, on edge. Yeah, yeah, just uh, no comfort in the world except for, you know, coming home and, and being by myself on my couch with my cat. Um, you know, that it it's... The rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's gonna... It's yes. gonna... It's gonna come down. Life's, life no on matter life's what, terms. life is gonna happen. It's life on life's terms. It's just gonna come at you and you, you have to show up and you have to... Use that grit to say, okay, I'm going to face another day. Yes. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I do know um, what depression feels like. Um, sometimes that that getting through that day is is staying in bed. 
But you do make it. <laughs> you day. do make it. I mean, we're both still here, right? We are. And, you know, I, I want to actually, this is a good time to bring her into the conversation. I want to talk about suicide. Um, there are some people who decide that the pain of healing um, is too difficult. And I don't have any blame for people, you know, knowing the depths of depression that I do. Um, I don't fault anyone for taking their own life. I do, however, wish that there was some tool available to to bring back a memory of of feeling content and feeling like it was worth giving another day of grit. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my friends that was unable to do that was Leah Marie King, who took her own life um, four years ago. She was a killer beast guitarist, great singer, gorgeous, um, married, horse farm, rescue dogs, um, ran a jam up in Springfield. Um, she, you know, just, she lived with a guitar around her neck, just mm-hmm. playing constantly. And, um, I really, uh, I don't know the full extent of her story cause she didn't tell anyone. It was too painful to tell anyone. Yes. And she sort of started to tell a couple of our friends, um, because what happened was is that she was sort of separate from the Nashville blue scene. She was sort of more in the north of Tennessee. Um, it had a huge following out there. Everybody loved her. She had just such devoted, loyal fans, very passionate fans. Um, but she sort of didn't really feel a connection with the Nashville scene, and so I kind of was a go-between. So I wound up having to be the go-between about her death and telling people in Nashville... I'll never forget, I had to call her bass player and tell him, and he was just hysterical on the phone. It was awful. Um, But, um, you know, in sort of hearing all people's stories about what had gone on is that, um, you know, there was something that she wasn't able to talk about. And and I, I, I felt guilty that I hadn't... I, we'd always said that I was going to go up and spend a day on the horse farm. And I wonder if I had just done that, if I had reached out to her to help her on the horse farm, which was sort of selfish because I love that, um, that maybe I could have, maybe she could have told me. But maybe not. Maybe know? not. But yeah, I, I, I really, every time somebody, you know, plays her music or, or brings her up, I'm always like, God damn, I wish you were here. I really wish mm-hmm. that I could have, you know, shown her our future. We used to call each other sisters from another mister. She was, uh, I, I was, you know, I'm dorky diva girl next door. He, he, you know, self-deprecating, whatever. And she was, her stage Mystique was the Raven Child. Oh, so we totally, were like, you know, yeah. badass blues chicks, opposite sides of the same coin. Uh huh. And I just loved. I had a the classic a, dynamic. Yeah, I had this uh, cool, like my my inner um, emo teen was like really kind of obsessed with her, like you know, Mystique and the dark black horse and the fancy sports cars and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and I think she liked my like comedic lighthearted, 
you know, easy going. Balanced each other out. Yeah, we really did. So I would have loved for there to have been a future for us. We were going to release our albums on the same day, just sort of as that ironic pairing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. And I, I don't fault her for that, you know, but I do think that, um, you know, when a person decides to go, they pass a lot of that pain on yes, to the people that are left behind. It's a good, it's a grenade that you're just, you're, it's, it's the, a ripple effect. Yeah. And I've, I've had, you know, people from where I'm from, like my hometown up in Maine and everything like that, they, they had killed themselves and it was always a huge shockwave throughout the community Yeah, where it's just like, oh fuck it's like a bomb. it's a bomb that just goes off where yeah. all of a sudden the person is there one day and you didn't even know that they were sh- struggling that's the thing is that like a uh, mm. depression like that is a silent killer it is it really is it's a ticking time bomb yeah yeah none of us not I mean none of us knew actually it was uh jerry dunaway who told me um and i i didn't believe him jerry at the time was um drinking um He's been sober for for many years now, but um, I I didn't trust him. I thought <laughs> I thought he got the facts wrong. I was like, come on! I was like, she would never do that. It just doesn't seem real. Yeah, it def- definitely wasn't. I'll never forget. I was at the Tuesday Jam over at the Commodore with uh, Delicious Blue Stew, and I mean, I remember Shannon Williford just just holding me and and comforting me as I tried to process. And you know, I'm sort of you know in my in a crisis mode, I'm a doer. Like, crisis comes, I'm like, boom, what are we going to do? Let's get let's it line it up. Let's get the survival plan, you know? So, because um, everybody wants to feel sort of needed and useful. Well, I, I, I do want to feel needed and useful. It's, um, it's a natural human situation. thing. Well, it's also the adult child stuff. But sure. <laughs> you want to um, not necessarily fix it, but at least be... You know, you're 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 activated. You're you're turned on um, into do mode, and and you want to go do stuff. So, you know, it's to it it takes like my friend Rachel with wanting to get in touch with the softer side. It takes grit to just calm down and do nothing. Yes. Yeah. I, For uh, some of us, I think one thing that I've definitely been guilty of is in those crisis modes of trying to automatically come up with a plan or trying to do yeah. something right away. And sometimes you just have to let it be and you have to feel yeah. it and you have to experience it. You have to go through it. You have it, to go through it. Which is the only way you can't stuff. Yes. Right? Going yes. back. Instead of stuffing it down is sitting with the feelings. And uh, one of the things I picked up from uh, the 12-step tradition um, as I have family members involved um, is that um, feelings are not facts. They're yes. very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the only way to end them is to go through them. And to not be destroyed, which is really hard. And it gets harder if people are using substances to dull the pain. Oh, yeah. Whether it is food or pills or alcohol, meth, mm-hmm. coke, whatever. It can be. It can be any number of of things that I've found and that I've seen is it's almost like even the most innocuous thing for someone else like phones and the internet can be an addiction. 
Mm. And, and it's really easy to get lost and hide. Because that's what I always wanted to do was I wanted to hide. I wanted to hide from everybody. And I really, I was trying to hide from myself. Mm. And not... The escape escapism it's yes. another addict behavior mm-hmm. totally absolutely 100 percent. and I, I was definitely guilty of just escaping into my own mind i had an addiction to my negative thoughts and i mm. had an addiction that those grooves would get set to where i be, i always believed that i was a loser that i was stupid you know i didn't i didn't go to college i was a horrible student in school and i realized that that was because i was always told that that pretty much was not going to be an option for me. Um, and seeing it now and just seeing the way that I really am now, it, it was like, I'm learning to have my full potential now. And I think the first time that I got really depressed in my life was knowing that I had some kind of potential, but I didn't know what to do with it. Cause I'd always have people that were very supportive I was very lucky to have mentors in music at a young age. Like, as soon as I almost started, I had people like, hey, come play with me, come do this with me. Um, and I had always had that, and everything was about to end as I knew it. My whole existence, the hellish existence that I knew was about to end, and I didn't know what was next, and I was terrified. Mm. Oh, yeah, fear of the unknown. It was a big fear of the unknown. It got to be February of my... Senior year of high school, I was 18, and I had gone down to, like, the, my most low-down point. I was skipping school continuously. My parents had actually come down here. Uh, my mom and my stepdad came down here because my, my grandfather lived in East Tennessee, and there was just a tornado. So they had come down, and um, while they were away, I just uh, I referred it in, entirely into myself. And that was really the beginning of that seduction. Of those dark thoughts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I relate to that. I just want to tack on here that in your own head, you are in control. And I remember consciously making a decision, probably late teens, that if I hurt myself first, they couldn't hurt me. Whether it was bullies or family members, mm-hmm. you know, I... I was the one that was in control. And that was actually really liberating, even though it was a maladaptive behavior. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> it, was, it was liberating to take control and say, you can't hurt me anymore. Conversely, I remember, um, and it's actually a theme throughout all my life, is, you know, um, who are we if we are not reacting and responding to our childhood? You know, <laughs> what, what, it's like why I decided to get a master's degree last year. Um, I remember being at, in my early thirties and it, it took me a long time. It took me longer than my twenties to figure myself out. Um, I remember my early thirties going on a retreat with work and, um, just having that space to be meditative and, and I had gotten a massage and I gotten my nails done and it was it was lovely. Self care. Self care. Oh hey, wow. That's a that is a a big uh, bucket there. Um I remember going into the restroom and, and washing my hands and there was this lovely mirror in there and I caught sight of myself and I looked relaxed and I was like, Oh, you look different And I thought to myself, Well, 
who who are you really really who are you and I just remember just saying who are you like a hundred times like who who are you who who are you 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 no fucking idea and then at the end of that conversation with myself I said you say who you are you say who you are not anyone else nobody from the past you say who you are and at that point is when I started to take control of Kara moved to Tennessee <laughs> you know changed a lot of things because my like you've been doing in the last couple months it's a it's a to get the outcomes that you want you have to take control and you have to you know and you have to be the common you're always going to be the common denominator but what what is that common denominator perpetuating is it the good yield you know or is it the same stuff you know I actually had a family member tell me that I was moving to Nashville as a geographic cure that I was going to just take my me and myself and my problems with me and ooh I wanted to punch that person in the face oh, so yeah. bad <laughs> you know but not allowed so but I remember you know having a list of all the things I wanted to do when I got here because in in Boston I felt like I was pacing a box it was like couldn't get a better job couldn't buy a house couldn't really do music couldn't find any you had capped out where oh, you yeah. were just going around, going around the box, pacing the corners, like, I can't get out of this. And so, yeah, geographic cure for that, you know. And so it's not that I was escaping anything. I thought, you know, at that point it created a pretty good life there. And I thought if at least if I can recreate what I had in Boston, at least it'll be warmer. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. There's no, you know? there's no four feet of snow yeah, on exactly. the ground. You know, at least I could maybe one day afford to buy a house, you know. And and so within the first three years, I'd checked off everything on my list. And, you know, the person that said that was like, oh, you know, oops. Yeah. I guess I was wrong about you. And that's that's the kind of the thing is that, you know, that doesn't even really feel good to me. I don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. No. Yeah. You know, I say who I am. I promote what I do. And I'm authentically... Myself, ooh, authenticity. Yeah, Doctor Phil, because I found that people actually like that. <laughs> That's what. Draws oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas you know you're taught, you know, from an early age, perhaps that, you know, that that is is not desirable or attractive or you know mm -hmm. palatable or whatever, acceptable. You know. Oh. You you tell people no. Like, I am. I am. I'm attractive. I am palatable. I am successful. I am acceptable. I am successful. All, whatever you put out there, whatever your vibe is, you know, however you feel about yourself translates to other people. And, you know, you, you can control that situation and say, you know, this is who I am. I define who I am. That's very interesting. I feel like some of these these concepts and some of these topics I've subconsciously just learned by accidentally doing almost. Maybe that's all life is. Maybe it's just repeatedly mm -hmm. making mistakes, tragedy happening, and then embracing it. Because now, like, let's say, for instance, 
I hope my car breaks down. I hope something stupid happens. Because whatever happens, it just makes me that much better, that much stronger, that much smarter. And I really learned how to embrace embrace it. I remember there was, there was a pretty definitive moment that I had when I was probably 19 where I had had a a flat tire on my car. It was February in Maine. I had this 2000 ah, Pontiac. Ah, yeah, horrible. 2000 Pontiac Grand Am. It was a shit car. It was horrible. No heat in the car. No, my no gosh, heat, no. No AC, no defrost on the windows. Oh, gosh. Oh, we all had beaters like that. Yeah. So <laughs> Most of us. My, my, um... <laughs> My stepdad, you know, who's who's raised me, and whenever I talk about my dad, he's the one I'm talking about. Mm. But he had said, I had said, this is just like a whole metaphor for my life. This is symbolic. He's like, it's only symbolic if you let it be. Right. And it just instantly shut yeah. me up because I was like, oh. Yeah. And not long after that, I was still a little bit more negative, you know, because I was still coming out of that, like, that suicidal anger, depression. Um, my friend, uh, my friend Ned, who I grew up playing music with one day. One day he just got mad at me. He's just like, you need to stop. You're negative all the time. You just bitch about everything. And he was right. And like, sometimes you just need a little bit of tough love. Yeah. Or at least I do. Well, at least from somebody you know that authentically cares about that, you. That loves you, yes. You have to have somebody that that can speak to you on that level. Yeah. So I went to this great conference once where they talked about um, being able to talk to the subconscious writer. So when you have, you know, a key relationship, you know, you, you check in with that person and you have these, like, these symbols or these memories that can, that, that uh, speak to somebody. And so when that person is in crisis mode and their, you know, their limbic system is, you know, in the fight or flight response, mm-hmm. you know, you have a key to break through that. And it sounds like your friend was like, he was a key. here's the key. I'm going to open this door. Guess what? You have another choice. Yeah. You have a choice here, Taylor. That was the moment that I decided to really turn it around and become the positive and optimistic person that I really always was the deep optimist. down. Yes, the optimist. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's totally it. That's totally it. Um, I love it. That was like the first showing of that, and that's authentically what I, I've always been when I was a small child that was in me, of course it got beat out of me, like through, through verbal beatings, emotional beatings, whatever you want to call them. And, um, I like for, for the first seven years of my life, any of the adults I was around hated me because they hated themselves. Mm, Yeah. And that happy go lucky go getter kind of, personality was really disliked and as time went on further and further I had gotten away from that and I when I got into my teen years I was out of of course the trauma of my childhood now with raging hormones and all this other shit you know just growing up it all starts to manifest and I just became a lunatic um I wasn't a bad kid or anything like that, but I was definitely very aggressive, and I was kind of a bully. Like, I really wasn't bullied. I was definitely the bully in school. I was... There's a lot of people that I was very mean to, and some of that behavior... Like, there there was adults that I had in my life who encouraged 
that yeah. kind of brutish behavior. Yeah. And there were adults that I had in my in my early twenties, whether it were was through jobs or anything like that, especially sales, being, yeah. being cutthroat, always doing sales jobs. They love that about me. Like they love the fact that I was a, a hammer, always looking for a nail. Like I was mm. always ready to go at Very any aggressive. point. Very aggressive. And there's still that in me, and that's never gonna really go away. They're, they're like, but I just know that that can, is a dark side, and it's also a bright side. Right. You can reframe that. Yes. From aggression to drive. Yes. To grit, because grit is not aggression. No. It's it's you know fortitude and strength, um, and endurance. Aggression is not durable. It's short lived. It is. It's it's that survival mode mm-hmm. strategy that works in the short term. It makes a lot of enemies in the long term. It does. It does. I definitely had alienated a lot of people and looking back on it, I never I never wanted to intentionally really hurt anybody's feelings or even be mean to them. Well, you didn't. You weren't conscious of anyone's feelings. <laughs> I, that's true. Yes. <laughs> How can you hurt something you're not I, even you're, aware exists? Exactly. That's <laughs> and it. And that's that's an that's an unfortunate part of that that personality type. And if if someone would have told me that I hurt their feelings, I wouldn't have given a fuck. But, but you like, didn't have any feelings of your own. I did not. No, I did. I, well, I did, but I just kept them very Stuffed. deep, deep down inside me yeah. to where no one would ever even knew that I had them because right. showing that as a child meant I was weak Yeah. and I was punished it's for it. It's your vulnerability. Yeah. Not allowed. Yeah. I was not allowed to do it. So what are the things that you are doing to be vulnerable, aside from the podcast? Um, that's a good question. I would say trying to be more genuine and authentic in my personal relationships mm. and not get squeamish when someone wants to talk about the way that they're feeling because mm. my whole life that's what I did uh, sure I would get because that's what was done to me when I was a small child sure um, so just like really being compassionate and listening and understanding even even just driving around like driving as an Uber or a Lyft driver if I can go the extra mile, and do something for someone. Because sometimes I'll pick somebody up and I'll know that they're having a bad day. Yeah. Like, a girl just broke up with her boyfriend. or so- I've had those kind of situations before. Someone just died that they're close yeah. to. And I still feel that in me. Like, like that, yeah. that feeling of not knowing what to do or what to say. But yeah. sometimes all a human needs is just to feel listened to. Exactly. And to feel cared about. That's huge. And that this Lyft Uber thing is kind of ideal for you and your process. It's customer service. Yeah. You have in order to keep that job, you have to you know keep getting those four or five stars. I, right? I can't so, be aggressive with them. You no, know, you cannot. I can't bully them into into anything. <laughs> no, you can't. And you know it's going to automatically be a mini therapy session, because people talk to strangers. It's for much sure. easier to talk to an objective stranger. Oh yeah. You know, and so, you know, and it's all different types of people, like you said, from different. You know, all different backgrounds, all different stratuses, um, all different uh, walks of life coming in to share different things. So it's exposure to variety um, of the culture. So I think that's a actually a, a neat way to 
if you frame it that way, yes. if you choose to to practice those skills, being vulnerable, being open, listening, mm-hmm. being supportive, and seeing people short term, five minute drive, you know, yeah, without eye contact. I always I heard that men are we're sitting face across from each other, uh-huh. which is which is good because we're friends already. Yeah, yeah. It is much easier to sit side by side, especially with men, um, because you don't have to make eye contact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For those important conversations, but well, it's funny because I've also seen people who I could tell are hurt and they're just lunatics running around like I was. Like there was this guy that I had the other morning. I picked him up. He had gotten to my car. He was immediately raging. Just like he was out drinking all night. He had, I had picked him up. He, had, he was sure to tell me that he had just got done sleeping with some chick. And then he started telling me how much he hated all of his new friends. And I just felt so sad for him. He's like, it's all these new people that are moving to Nashville. Uh, they just want, they just want Coke and they just want to party. And it's all these people that are moving and making the city not cool anymore. And he was just raging. Like, and yet he'd been out partying, drinking with those people, with those people. And he had sex. Like you'd think he'd be in a great mood, right? (laughs) But he was, he was in a horrible mood. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I went to go drop him off at his car. He had, he had updated the address. He had put the wrong addresses in. And he was mad when I was going the way that the GPS told me. He's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you going? And I was like, dude, I'm just going wherever this is telling me to go. He's like, that's the wrong address. And I said, well, you put in the wrong address. He immediately blames me for it. He's like, I can't even edit the address, dude. I take him to his car. <laughs> He's like, where's my car? It's gone. He doesn't know where it is. Uh-oh. He's trying to piece the night before back together again. Oh, boy. It was around the block. And he was just screaming the whole time. And it was just like... It was weird. It was just so weird. He's and completely out of control. Completely out of control. Just addicted to his own rage. Mm. Addicted to the anger. Um, yeah. Well, and then, of course, coming off a night of drinking, one of the things I learned in my master's program, substance abuse class, is that, you know, your body is remarkable. When you put in an upper, it tries to bring you down. So when the upper's gone, you're still on the downward trajectory. Oh, and yeah. that's the reverse direction. Because mm-hmm. it's always trying to find that balance. Same thing if you use a downer. It's trying to kick you back up. So you are... That's why people self-medicate. is because they're trying to manipulate how they feel by adjusting their system. So people will do you know, the uppers during the day and the downers at night. And they'll, they will try to be like their own you know, magical wizard pharmacist witch doctor and you know try and... <laughs> You're like I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it, does, it does not work. <laughs> well, you not not at people. People don't really know that much about it. They just think, oh, I, I'm gonna use these drugs, and I don't really know what they do, but I feel better. It's that stuffing thing. Yeah. But there are some people who are a little bit more sophisticated. Who, you know, I mean, you look at Michael Jackson. You know. Yeah. He was a lot of people who are on the stage who have to be up at a certain time and and be on. You know, and then you know they have to come down at night, you know, um, but our, our bodies naturally are always trying to correct that. And so they wind up in these awful, awful cycles. So this guy, he's just come off a night of alcohol, at least alcohol that you know of. Yeah. So he's, he is 
um, you know, he's had this depressant all night long, and now his body's trying to lift him back up unnaturally, and it just, it winds up sinking back in that, in that opposite direction, because the tolerance levels change, and so the body has to work even harder, so he's just a hot mess. Yeah, it, it, it's funny to see someone, because we were maybe together seven minutes, and I could tell that's the way his life is all the time. Chaos. And it's just chaos and hell. And you can always, how, no matter how hellish your life is, you can always make it worse. You can always make it better, but you can always make it a lot, a lot worse. And you can just nosedive straight down. And I could tell that he was nosediving quickly. Just like, he was... Crash and burn. Yeah, ready to crash and burn. And um, it was just a... It had really affected me emotionally after being around him for that short time. Well, you were probably triggered. I was definitely <laughs> triggered. There we go, back to that trigger thing. I, I, had to, I had to like get out of my car and walk around Target for a few minutes. I, I called my sister and told her about it. And she's like, I can hear that you're just starting to like go down this this rabbit hole of, of darkness because I was around it. It's it's funny mm-hmm. how something like that can can just rub you and touch well, you, and it, you. It that's the triggering mechanism. Yeah. So you were brought back instantly to things that you escaped. Yeah. And that's how I was um, with my last job, um, where you know it was a, a very chaotic environment no communication no accountability um and yet a lot of blame like no one's responsible but it's all your fault you know and and really it just it brought me back to a time in my life where you know things really were that out of control and you know it it took a lot it took a lot to want to get up and be there in the morning but, you know, I have a mortgage, so grit. You know, even though I'm triggered every day, even though, yeah. and I, I'll say this, um, no one else knows this but my, my dear, blessed co-worker, Sherry. Um, uh, but I had panic attacks every morning this summer. Actually, going back about a year. One At one point, I was even in the hospital thinking I was having a heart attack because it was a very, very long, it was like a 45-minute panic attack. Mm-hmm. So, um... Those are gone because I'm not Good. at that job anymore. Yeah. Um, but it, it really can. And I'm really glad that you took the time to do the self-care. Of Realizing how walking around, you're feeling. Calling a friend. Being aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, being being aware is, is the progress that we make when we get a little bit older. Um, and then being able to do something constructive about it. And also sitting with those feelings, even though they are hard and they are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, Why am I feeling this way? Exactly. What about this situation made me feel this way? Exactly. And then saying, you know, okay, um, I, that person can't hurt me anymore. And I'm in another space. And, you know, practicing those meditative, I have this um, sleep hypnosis guy I listen to uh-huh. on YouTube, Michael Seeley, he's the best, S-E-A-L-E-Y, if anybody wants to look him up, um, he's got million, he's got hundreds and thousands of views, millions of views on his videos, um, and he says in this very beautiful, mellifluous Australian accent, I am learning to relax to the deepest 
I can go. And, like, I just, uh... I think I actually have listened to him before. I just melt. And and that really um, f- brings my physical symptoms back to... Noticing your breath. Mm-hmm. The air going in your lungs. I mean, as cheesy as all that stuff can sound, it's true. Well, it grounds you back yeah. in reality. Yeah, well, those experiences of not being in reality or, or being triggered um, are called derealization in the business. For those of you who don't know, I have a master's degree in forensic psychology. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not a practicing counselor or anything or a psychologist, but I have some training. Um, and, you know, it, it's because we are something triggers us and we are we are back there at that moment and we are remembering and we are feeling and experiencing whatever that was over again. It's a post-traumatic Something stress. in our primal monkey brain. <laughs> that, deep back in those deepest recesses of your mind. And those, um, you know, those, the, those coping strategies or those, the, and they're more than coping. They are, um, literal, um, you know, plans of attack to, uh-huh. to be successfully, to successfully overcome those, um, you know, like meditation and, and relaxation techniques, you know, those can be really helpful. Yoga has helped me out a lot. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing, yeah, I've been, I've been doing it. I haven't taken any classes or anything like that. I've been doing this thing called DDPY yoga, which is Diamond Dallas Page. He was a wrestler in the Uh nineties. Um, I heard him talk about it on Joe Rogan and I had like a little bit of a shoulder injury and I've been having some trouble with one of my knees. So I figured I'd try it out and it's really made a great impact on my life. Um, I always do yoga before I run. I go for a run, then I'll do it right after. So I'll stretch out, and it just feels great. Um, but that's really helped me get in touch with being inside of my actual body and not being inside of my mind. Mm-hmm. I realize what the difference between those two things are now. Yeah. Well, you do seem relaxed. You seem present. Thank you, yes. So that's a nice change. Yes, for sure. I was always kind of nervous and tense before and I wasn't and I always thought that, that you know may have been just you know like uh or I'm talking with an older person or I'm talking with somebody who's been in Nashville longer like I wouldn't have read it as you know I have deep-seated emotional problems <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what it was though because it's like it's so funny because I can literally I can go up to anybody and talk to them and that that was just like that side of me, I could just, again, it's the forcing it down, just shut off and do it. Yeah. And it it was the deep-seated emotional problems that I finally had to address because I was like, I have all these people that are around me that really care about me. Yeah, they do. And I'm very lucky to have it, and I have to, I have to figure out what's going on within myself. Well, they, the people that are around you that care about you see that Optimus, Poptimus. Yes. Little guy. For sure. Absolutely. That is definitely something to be celebrated, that you have people who can see the good in you. I'm very lucky. I mean, I I can't say thank you enough to you and to everybody who listens to the show and to the jam and all of that. It's made such a positive impact on my life. And it's starting to turn really kind of surreal what everything is becoming. Um, 
the life I've always dreamed of living, I'm actually getting to live now. Uh, I'm just kind of doing my own thing every day and figuring it out as I go. Maybe I'll get a job again. Maybe I won't. Maybe, maybe things work out great for me. Um, but the experience of doing and being here and being with everybody that I've met from the jams and everybody that I've met through the podcast, uh, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you to everybody listening. This has been something that's been a really huge part of my life, and the reason that I keep trying to do it is because of this. You got grit, kid. Thank you. Where can people find the album? Uh, we might we might want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, there's music. Yeah, yeah. and music is that through line. So yeah. um, right now, um, as of the date of this recording, it is available electronically on CD Baby. It is slowly being distributed to other platforms. So eventually, it'll be available on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all those traditional cool. places. Let me know as soon as it is, and I, I will yes. share the whole knot. Okay. And then uh, the physical copies, I'm waiting for the manufacturer a couple more days. I don't think I'll have them for tomorrow's jam, unfortunately. But I guess they're being put together in St. Louis, so they got to be shipped here. But okay. physical copies are available. Um, I'm getting a lot of requests for my new album and my old album combined. It's like all of a sudden people discover the new music. They're like, oh, I want to hear the old music too, because they never knew about it. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's in a very exciting time. So I'll have those physical copies soon for folks. Awesome. And will they be able to pick them up at the jam, or are you going to be selling they them at the jam? Well, they will. Probably Tuesday not Tuesday nights? Week. Tuesday nights at the local. The local, end. not the country. No, no, no. It changed at the, at the time of the last podcast. It had just changed and actually i remember your face you were like oh, what yeah you broke the news to me on the podcast it, it's the local but to me and all of all of the, the ones that we i kind of started out with there it's always going to be the country in our heart in our heart yeah yeah we we did get our start at the country which is now the local 110 28th ave um off of west end mm-hmm. by the mcdonald's by the parthenon and we are there every tuesday minus one or two if they have other events uh like tin pan south um, or the Americana Fest. Um, but we are there running the Tuesday Pro Blues Jam at the local 8 o'clock. And where can people find you on Instagram? What's your name on Instagram? All of my social media is Kara Being Blue, C A R. Simple. I love simple. Yeah. Yeah. Kara, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Taylor.